Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Hello and welcome to another episode of Moments That Rock. I'm your host, Tony Michaelidis. Moments That Rock is part of the Pantheon group of podcasts where you can hear the best music podcasts around. Today, we have Denise Baton. Uh, Denise worked at BMG for some 20 years in the marketing department and she can be uh, recognised as kind of finding some character called Simon Cowell. But there's plenty of other stuff she's done. But we shall leave it to Denise to introduce herself. My name's Denise Beaton. Um, I've been in the music business now for 40 years plus. 
Um, I originally started um, as a part-time telesales operator because I've just had a baby. And then I ended up being the director of BMG Records before I left to start my own business. Um, I'm now doing management. Um, before that, I was doing um, lots of compilation albums. And generally, just just doing whatever I got paid for in the industry. Um, no, it's it's been a really, really good career. Um, I think one of the first moments that rocked my world was um, at, professionally in, in terms of the music business was um, getting associated with Simon Cowell. Um, we we met when Simon was um, pretty much failing at everything. He was doing lots of novelty records. He wasn't um, he wasn't having many hits, and he was on the verge of um, being dumped from the company. I always thought that he was he was absolutely brilliant. Um, from an A and R point of view, I was in sales at the time, and from an A and R point of view, Simon recognized that it wasn't just about making a great record it was about telling people um telling people it existed basically i suppose um and he was very very good at knowing who am i aiming this at what market am i aiming this record and from a from a sales point of view that was that was really really good for me um he um he and I became became really close and um, one morning I ran, ran into him. I'd said to him, Simon, Simon, I saw this thing on TV last night. Um, you really need to sign it. Um, I said, if it, if it can make an old bitch like me cry, then it must have done a lot for the rest of the world. I'd seen this programme, Soldier, Soldier. You weren't an old and... bitch then, though. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I wasn't a particularly weepy person, you know. It's like, um, but anyway, I said, I said, if it can make somebody like me get all weepy, then it's got to have an impact on on Joe Public. And um, basically, it was a program called Soldier Soldier. Two of the soldiers in it, two of the characters, Robson and Jerome, got up and sung Unchained Melody, and um, it was a real like sort of well just a real tv moment and um anyway simon said well it's probably signed it was probably set up and planted into it um he then spent the next year because robson and jerome effectively were actors and they didn't want to be pop stars and they they just had a, a real thing about it so he spent the next year or so trying to persuade them that this was a good idea in the end he offered them decent money and they did it um the rest is history the, the record went on to be the fastest selling number one single in the uk ever um it only got beaten later on by elton john Candle in the wind when princess diana died it held that record up until then. Um, Robson and Jerome went on to sell 15 million albums and I think another 5 million DVDs or I don't know if VHS was still going then. It seems such a long time ago. But it was a, it was a great moment for me. It was like um, it, it made me... Um, it just it just made me a name in in the industry and in the in the company at the time, you know, and um and it was it forged a long standing relationship with me and Simon. Um, it, you know, when he first started X Factor and Idol and all that, 
he was always phoning me up, Denise, which one, which, which one do you think? And who shall I be going for? And all of this. And, um, you know, and I've been to the live shows along the time and, um, you know, it, it, it just was a great moment. And to see him go on to such great things has been brilliant because I like to think that I discovered him before anyone else did. Do you know? Well, you did. Um, I've been been there. I can, I can vouch for that. That's why for, Totally selfish reasons. I wanted to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Not that you're a horse, madam, of course. Um, <laughs> Simon came from a privileged background. He lived like in a manor house near Elstree and he got jobs in the post room at thing. And his father helped him like climb the ladder, so to speak. And I was there when they couldn't afford to give him that little office at Arista. And BMG almost like, not to be disrespectful, but took pity on him and brought him over to the other side of the corridor. And the rest is history because of you. But you see, the thing is, two good-looking guys singing a song people know has got a huge amount of appeal to a female audience who swoon over it and will buy yeah. it. Then, of course, you get the mainstream radio of Radio 2 then rather than Radio 1. It was never going to go like to be a Radio 1 record. But if I remember right, Denise, BMG were heading for a loss that year and Robson Jerome turned the whole thing round. They recorded record profits as a result of one act who weren't really an act at all. It went it went ridiculous. And also as well, because because the guys were actors, not artists, they refused to do any promo. Um, they agreed to one TV interview and um sorry, one TV performance, surprise, surprise. And um, so that was a, that was like an emotional top, top of the pops came after. That was when they got to number one. They were frightened to death. Of the, this is up front of the release because then all the promo was done up front. They were frightened to death of being ridiculed by it all. Excellent stuff. You're listening to Moments That Rock with me, Tony Mightley. And today's guest is Denise Baton. And she's talking about Simon Cowell and his exploits. More to come after this. Every Monday morning, we'd have the BMG board meetings where we'd be on the sixth floor of Bedford House. And um, John Preston, who was the chairman at the time, would go down the, the schedule. And he didn't refer to them as Robson and Jerome. He referred to them as the team of solicitors. And um, anyway, he, he said, and Simon would never, ever come to these meetings because he never got out of bed in those days before 10 o'clock anyway and this was nine o'clock Monday morning and so we'd be sitting in the boardroom and every single time and I remember like literally the week before the, the release of the record and um, we, we went round we were going down the schedule and John went oh yeah this team is solicitors he said why are we even releasing it We've got one TV and one press interview. Why are we releasing it? And I felt myself go blood red. And I just summoned up this and I went, because it's going to be number one. And I thought, I hope I sound calmer than I feel because I was literally shaking. I was crossing my fingers under the table, but I just went, because it's going to be number one. And um, anyway, and then of course, like we, those days, you didn't really know um, what was, you didn't know what was going on. Not like now, you, you can look at Spotify and everything and you've got all your, all your things to, to show you, but then you had to go by actual physical sales. And um, so 
I'd gone to Entertainment UK, which was the biggest retailer in the country. They looked after, um, at the time, they, they, they sold to Woolworths, which on this record, Woolworths would be 40% of the business easy. Um, they sold to Woolworths, they sold to um, WH Smith, I think, at the time before WH Smith started buying for themselves. Anyway, so the buyer, we, we sat there and um, he, he'd been aware of the moment the year before when it was in Soldier Soldier. He'd been aware that there was a demand for the record a year before. And he, he said to me, he said, Denise, he said, um, I'll buy 100,000, which was ridiculous it was like just to put in perspective probably the biggest order i'd ever have from him would be twenty thousand. nice so ridiculous though well nice ridiculous but the problem is their sale or return he said to me um this can either be the best decision of both of our careers or the worst and anyway so he he said that so we're, we're going out we've got this pre-sale of um I think it was a hundred and fifty thousand because he'd taken a hundred and then the rest of the the rest of the stores took everything the sales reps because of course it wasn't an indie record the sales reps were coming back with this won't make the top 40 even and and everything on their on their actual things and um, so it was, a, it was a bit of a worrying time. So I got into work at, on the on the Monday morning. I'm in I'm in the office by ten o'clock. My phone's ringing and it's this buyer at EUK, and he went this hundred thousand. And I'm like thinking he's going to say we've made the biggest mistake ever because you know fairly early on or you did. And he went, I'm going to need at least another two hundred and fifty thousand, and I'm going to need those before Wednesday. And we literally had every pressing plant in the country, every single one on overtime. And like BMG offered to drop every other record they were pressing at the time and everything. And they just had to go absolutely mad to, to try and get it out in time. And um, we were we were trying to explain this to, to Robson and Jerome. And um, it, it was like, they didn't get it. Robson even said later, it wasn't until he heard the charts on us on the Sunday, and he's listening to the top forty, thinking we're not even going to be in the top forty because he couldn't believe the the data we were giving them because it, it went in at number one, did it? It went straight in at number yeah. one, and then of course they did top of the pops the following week, and um, it, it was it was quite funny as well because they were they were almost like I, I remember being at. Um, at at top of the pops with them and they were almost a little bit embarrassed and they didn't want to come out of their dressing room because they felt like the the novelty act and that all the other artists would look down on them and um anyway we walked up the corridor uh tell street to get some food i think and we, we go walking up and i'm with the two lads and um, Jarvis Cocker, port were number two with common people. Jarvis Cocker goes, hey, well done, well done. And he's like, literally, and he's been really nice to them. And they were like, oh, because they thought he was super cool and that. And it, it was like, and we're going, why would you be ashamed of something that's so great? And then, of course, he went on to, to sell albums and everything. And it, it was a great time. I mean, the biggest records... Uh, kind of novelty records. They're not artists as such. Here was two successful actors that were primetime national TV in the UK, and they make this as a result of you nudging somebody who had the position to put it out and, and 
you know, blag his way into into getting them. And good luck and good kudos to you and Simon. But do you remember Macarena? They're hardly like yeah. Led Zeppelin, you know, with a back catalogue of amazing records and things. A huge record. Again, BMG. Those biggest records are the things that people who aren't record buyers, who buy like five songs a year, singles or whatever, buy those songs. Well, I, I always used to say um, we... We had once um, a visit to the office and it was someone from a call indie band anyway. And he saw one of those kinds of records because we did Macarena, didn't we? I loved and it. He saw <laughs> those kinds of records and I can't even remember which one it was. It might even have been Mobson and Jerome, but he said, aren't you ashamed selling things like that when it's not real music? And I said, I'm really sorry. I said, you won't like to hear this, but who are you to decide what is real music? I said, music is supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to give people pleasure. I said, whether your pleasure comes from listening to Led Zeppelin or the Birdie song, it's irrelevant because it gets people into it gets people into record stores and it gets our business thriving. And I said, and with the greatest respect, some of these novelty records probably pay for the marketing on yours. Exactly. They tend to need very little spend on them anyway because they're natural phenomenons and they just go. So then you get your real artists that's having some investment and half the time the Robson and Jerome's of the world and that are paying for that anyway. You didn't have to make a record for MTV. It was just there, wasn't it? Whereas, you know, bless them, Duran Duran and all those Spandau Ballets that came through MTV, you know, half a million on a video. It takes a lot of recouping. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it was like, you know, I mean, it was it was a great time for all of us. And it gave um, I, I remember the the whole thing at the um, at, at like the BMG Christmas party that year. It was there was a, a vibe because we were making money and we were making money purely off the back of, of this this record and the subsequent album that Simon managed to whop out for Christmas. And you know, it, it it just it just went huge. It went absolutely massive. And and to be honest, when when you see him, he he's exactly the same. Funny, he's always taken the piss out of me. We've always had a good banter like that, and we've always and he's always very warm, very charming. He's he's lovely still. I've got a lot of time. I mean, you you know, like I say, I worked with Simon, but I didn't know him like you did. The fact that you kind of I don't want to be overdramatic and say brought him out of the doldrums. I mean, if you've read his book and things, for instance, the stuff that he says is Simon's motivated by money. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you admit it. Because I had a conversation once with him. I was driving to Radio Hallam in Sheffield. I said, have you ever thought of doing it with kind of a band? Rather than getting five good-looking guys, girls, whatever, well, you're too fat, you need to not stop smoking, you can't ever be seen with a girl, you know, and 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 assemble them into something that they could market. It wasn't down to the music and stuff. And because Robson Jerome was successful in their own right, but the thing is, Simon's resilient. And when you look at things nowadays with um, with the pandemic changing everything, persistence and resilience, he's the perfect person to survive. With a programme like that, I always thought that the judges became bigger than the acts because it was always about, you know, Simon yeah. and Paula, that kind of, you know. Uh, and the thing is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but American Idol started as Pop Idol, and Simon Cowell didn't think it would work in America. It was Simon Fuller, who was a genius, who persuaded him to do it in America. And I always thought, well, if you 
I'm old enough to remember Basil Fawlty and Fawlty Towers. There's something about Americans that love English people being rude to them. Yeah, well, so Simon Simon Cowell had a different view to Simon Fuller on that. Um, he he said he always wanted to do it, so it, it's kind of like two big Simons biting his head. They both went to America to to sell it. They both went over there and that, and then and everybody Simon... turned it down apart from Elizabeth Murdoch. She yeah. saw it. Everybody else said this isn't going to work. But but Simon claims it was his idea to take it to America, not Fuller's. So um, no, no, I'm, I'm not subscribing to that one. When I first knew Simon, he, he said all he wanted to do was make a load of money. And he got a figure in his head, which was seven million. Why seven million? I don't know. But he said, <laughs> as soon as I've made seven million, I'm quitting. And then many years later, he's made an awful lot more than seven million. And it, it's kind of I think he's got the bug for the the whole TV thing and the whole, you know, I, I remember him doing an, a radio interview before he been exposed very much to any major and him calling me up it was about one thing that he'd done he'd done a, a George Michael Megamix thing and George Michael was taken into court and he had to go and talk and he was talking to Newsbeat on Radio 1 or something about it and he calls me up immediately afterwards he goes oh darling did I sound really camp did I sound and he was really worried about how he sounded. Not the case. Not, oh, I've been in court all morning. It was how he sounded on Newsbeat. I do believe that, you know, you played an integral part in giving him that record, but I think he learned an enormous amount from Simon Fuller. That was a guy who signed Madonna to publish him when he was like 25, 26. And he invented girl power. It was, yeah. it was what, and, and if you think of it, it wasn't a million miles away from what the Beatles did with pillowcases. It wasn't just the music, but he saw these girls and they were all different and he marketed them in a brilliant way. Um, but look at what he did with Annie Lennox, completely different artist, great lady, yeah. but she didn't want yeah. to do anything. Brilliant artist, incredibly dedicated and hugely successful and a real kind of, you know, influential figure. It was incredible that the two of them, because American Idol is known for changing the way Americans watch TV. And that, dear listener, is a fact. Excellent stuff. You've been listening to Denise Beaton on Moments That Rock. Moments That Rock is part of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. <laughs> Pantheon Group of Podcasts. There'll be more from Denise in weeks to come talking about Take That. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Subscribe, come back for more, and we'll see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.